Welcome to the Friends of Israel Today. I'm Steve Conover, and with me is our host and teacher, Chris Katolka. If someone asks you what you believed as a Christian, and you're someone who values the unchanging Word of God, loves and supports Israel, how would you answer them? Today, we're continuing our focus on the core doctrines of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. Our beliefs as an organization originate in the Word of God, and that's why it's important. What we believe affects the way we live and how we do ministry. And that's why we're in the middle of this series. We're, we're looking at the core doctrines that we believe are both core to Christendom as a whole, but also core, to, core doctrines that matter to us here at the Friends of Israel. And this is all coming from our new booklet that we have out, 19 Key Christian Beliefs. It's a booklet called Here We Stand. We look at these very important doctrines. And, and this week, we have Dr. Mike Stollard in studio with us, and we're going to be looking at the very important doctrine of who God is and also how he really brings his nature and his character into how he created all things out of nothing. So you'll want to be sure to, to stick around to hear from Dr. Mike Stollard. But first in the news, President Trump has invited Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his political rival, Benny Gantz, to the White House to unveil his peace in the Holy Land plan. According to some reports, a Palestinian state can only be formed if the PA accepts Israel as a Jewish state and Hamas is disarmed. Also in Trump's plan, the Palestinian right of return is off the table. If Abbas rejects this plan, some believe the Trump administration will approve Israel's right to annex the West Bank. Well, here's my take, Steve. I think this is very fascinating. And if this report is accurate, Trump has officially called the Palestinians bluff and backed them into the corner. For Trump, this is less about mediation, as past administrations have done, and more about let's make a deal that you won't refuse. So after years of pandering from the past administration, Trump's plan is black and white. He's calling on Palestinian President Abbas to stop the charade and make a deal, or else, really, you just might lose it all. Well, in studio today, we are honored to have Dr. Mike Stollard. Dr. Stollard is a, a, the international director here at the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. And before we were pr privileged to have him here at the Friends of Israel, he was the dean of Baptist Bible Seminary. And he's also even today the executive director of the Council for Dispensational Hermeneutics. Mike, great to have you in the studio. Glad to be here, Chris. Always have a good time with you. The reason that I had Mike come in is because we're really looking at some really core doctrines of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry, core doctrines that I think a lot of uh, Christian churches hold to, but also doctrines that we hold near and dear because we believe they are biblical and that they matter. And so we're walking through uh, the, the, the doctrinal statement, really, of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. In fact, uh, in, in our, one of our past Israel My Glory magazines, we, we did a whole article, uh, magazine on it called Here We Stand, and it was so popular, we decided to turn it into a booklet that we've produced, uh, 19 Key Christian Beliefs. It's a booklet on the values, the doctrines that we stand on here at the Friends of Israel. And so I wanted to bring Mike in to talk about some of these core doctrines that we hold to. Uh, and so, Mike, let's just jump right in here. We're going to we're going to talk about really uh, who is God? You know, we want to look at the big picture of who is God. This is a great place for us to start when it comes to doctrine. You know, at the core of the Bible is the knowledge and understanding of who God is. The, the, and the word of God, it reveals the nature and character of God. And honestly, one of the major reasons I believe in God's word, the, the whole the whole counsel of God is it's an outworking of God's grace to us. God reveals who he is in his word. And, and so now one of the most significant doctrines surrounding the nature of God is his 
triunity, the, the trinity. You know, I had a Jewish friend once say to me, you know, we're monotheists and Christians are monotheists. And the, my, my Jewish friend says to me, you know, he was an accountant. He goes, Chris, the last time I added one plus one plus one, that's three. It's not one. So can you help me understand, you know, how is Christianity monotheistic and Judaism monotheistic? How, how does all that work? How do we fit Christianity into this model of monotheism? Um, how can we call God one? To start with, we need to define God or recognize that he is incomprehensible. And that means we can only at best give a descriptive definition of God. Uh, when I was in my PhD comprehensive exams at uh, Dallas Seminary, one of my professors who was examining me that day in the room uh, asked me the question, define God. And I really had not prepared for that question. <laughs> um, and so I started going through all the attributes of God. I started, you know, he's... He's love, he's justice, he's omnipresent, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, etc. I got through the list of the attributes. And when I got through the list, he said, well, so far you haven't said anything that makes me think you are a Christian. Wow. And I got to thinking about that. I go, oh, yeah, the Trinity. You see, he said to me, uh, a Muslim could say what you just said, or a, a, uh, those who hold to Judaism could say what you just said. Uh, the Trinity is uniquely Christian, mm -hmm. and it sets us apart from others. So we do need to deal with it. I think the full descriptive definition of God takes into account that list of attributes, his actions in history, creation, redemption, but also takes into account the Trinitarian God that we see in Scripture. So let's define Trinity to start with. You know, Trinity means that God is one being in three co-equal, co-eternal persons. So he's one being, three persons. That means he's not three and one in the same respect. That would be a contradiction like your Jewish friend was saying. That's right. Okay. But they're in different respects. Essence referring to his, as he is in himself, his being, so to speak. Uh, but a person's the function, the three persons functioning as individual personalities. And so God is all of those things. And the Bible's clear about that. Mm -hmm. For example, God is one, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and the Shema. Uh, tells us that. 1 Corinthians 8, 4, the Apostle Paul uh, agrees with that. But then also the Bible's clear there are three persons who are called God. The Father is called God, 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Uh, the Son is called God, John 1, 1, and in several passages. The Spirit is called God, for example, in Acts 5. Mm -hmm. So all three are called God. But then there's also those passages that put them all together, either three and one or one and three. The integration, so to speak, in the benediction in 2 Corinthians 13, at the end of the book, Paul mentions all three together in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, Jesus himself. He's going to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then in 1 Corinthians 12, 4-6, the spiritual gifts, you have the Father, Son, and Spirit. And then at the baptism of Jesus, all three show up. The Father's voice, there's Jesus and the dove, Spirit the Holy coming Spirit up. coming upon him. Can I ask, th th this is big too, because there is no particular passage that says, that God is Trinitarian. There isn't that word, and that's what a lot of people who oppose uh, the Trinity and they looked for more of a Unitarian perspective, they'll say there is no word that defines Trinity or verse that says God's Trinitarian. Can you explain that, how we're looking at the scriptures in that way? Well, it is a deduction based upon the passages I've just listed. That's right. So you have uh, the passages where God is one, and then these three are God, and then they're all brought together. The only conclusion bringing all those passages together is a triune God. 
one God in three persons. And Christianity, I think, has done a good job of putting all that together for us. Of course, the uh, ultimate question is, uh, does it matter? That's right. And that's what I want to ask next. What, what does it matter for a Christian to know that God is one essence, three individual persons? How does that matter to a, a believer today? I think more than any other view of a monotheistic God, it highlights the personal nature of God. Because in all eternity past, the three persons of the Trinity, internally in the Godhead, they have a relationship with each other. So relationship is at the heart of who God is. And so they love each other. And so I think we look at the Trinity and it helps to remind us that God is a personal God. Mm-hmm. He's not made the force to be with you. <laughs> That's okay? right. He is a personal God. And that helps us. I think the Trinity helps us to grab onto that in a deep and powerful way. Is it also what helps us understand God being both the just and the justifier as well, that he is, you know, when, when we look at the issue of sin throughout the world, which is going to be something that we look at next week, sin, but when we look at sin and how it had to get dealt with, sin couldn't be dealt with by man alone. It had to actually be dealt with by God himself. Does the Trinity help with that perspective at all? Uh, well, I think the answer to that is yes. If you go to Ephesians chapter one, God outlines the, you know, the part that the father plays uh, in dealing with our sin, mm-hmm. the part that the son does and the part that the spirit does. That's right. Yes. They're all three involved. And, and again, I think that flows out of the love that's internal in God's Trinitarian being. And he demonstrates his love for others by wanting to solve this dilemma for us. He demonstrated love in creating us to start with. That's right. Uh, but uh, because we messed up, now he demonstrates his love in redeeming what has been fallen and those who will come to him by faith. And so Jesus, the second person, becomes incarnate in the flesh, an act of love. He, God becomes one of us. And then that, that person, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, who became the, the Son of God on earth, he was eternally the Son, but now he's on the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes to a cross and dies for our sins and was buried and rose again from the dead. Uh, and now uh, we can trust that gospel for deliverance and salvation. So that the very personal reach of God is accomplished in a separation of duty, so to speak, in the Godhead, the various persons of the Trinity. It's a very wonderful story, and it's the greatest story ever told. And, you know, it really helps us understand, and, and you can comment on this. We have a few seconds left, but you can comment on this. How does that help us understand how we worship God? How does the Trinity help us worship God and, and understand God from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Well, we have to worship God in spirit and truth. So, That's right. Uh, he is, John 4, Jesus' uh, teaching. So we worship God holistically in all that he is. So we go back to all the, uh, who God is, the attributes, the actions, the Trinity. All of that is part of our worship. We declare that God's worthy. So the Father's worthy of everything he's done, and we adore him for it. Same with the Son, same with the Spirit. So we adore all of who God is, and we love all of who God is because of who he is and also because of what he's done. As Psalm 116 says, I love you, Lord, because you have heard my cry. Mm -hmm. So we love him for what he is and what he does. And so we see that played out, this great love uh, story from God to us and how he has redeemed us. So we're going to take a break here. Okay. So we're going to give our audience a breather um, and we are going to come back and we're going to look at how that Trinitarian God 
really works himself out in the way in creation, the creation account. And so for our listeners, I want you to stick around. I think we're going to have a great discussion, a continued discussion with Mike Stollard. If someone asks you what you believed as a Christian, and you're someone who values the unchanging Word of God and loves and supports Israel, how would you answer them? Many struggle to understand what God's Word says about creation, the Church, Jesus Christ, salvation, Israel, and the end times. Our hope is that our booklet, Here We Stand, will equip you with 19 key beliefs of the biblical faith. Learning doctrine doesn't have to be a chore. It can revitalize your walk with God and demonstrate your love for Him to others as you come to know Him better. To purchase your own copy of Here We Stand, 19 Key Christian Beliefs, visit us at foiradio.org. That's foiradio.org. We'll have a link on our homepage, or you can call our listener line at 888-343-6940, and someone will return your call during our regular business hours. Once again, that's 888-343-6940. To order in Canada, call 888-664-2584. Again, that's 888-664-2584, and that's in Canada. Welcome back, everyone. We have Dr. Mike Stollard in the studio with us, and we're talking all about doctrine. I want to remind you how important doctrine is. Doctrine is the foundation that we stand on. You know, your Christian life isn't just simply an emotion. It's built on a biblical foundation, and that's why it's so important that we have Uh, Mike in studio with us. And we've just talked about the Trinitarian understanding of who God is, a very Christian understanding of who God is. And now we're going to move into how that Trinitarian God uh, uh, created everything and why that matters. So, Mike, let me ask you this. You know, when I look when I look at art, you know, when I take my kids to the Philadelphia Art Museum, art is an expression of what the artist is thinking and feeling or something that he or she is influenced by. And it really comes from the nature and character of the artist. And we just talked about that relationship that exists between the triune God and how that affects us, his creation. So speaking of creation, what does the creation account from Genesis one to two say about the nature and the character of who God is? Well, first off, we do believe in a literal seven days. There are six days of creation. And we'll talk about the seventh day later. Uh, And this shows a lot of things. I go back to what we said earlier about God being personal. The whole, the whole creation demonstration is certainly the work of someone who has personality. Yes. Uh, who has a mind, who has a will, uh, who has emotions. You see that reflected in all of creation. And, of course, we see creativity. I mean, just look at the majesty, even in a fallen world today, look at the majesty of what we see. God's very creative. But also, he's very powerful. You think he did all that out of nothing. So, and once you have a... A God who is a creator, things like a resurrection of a body from the dead is pretty small compared to God made everything out of nothing. If he can do that, he can do anything that's within his nature to do. And so you, you see that uh, there. And the, the personal part comes out even stronger when you think about man in particular. You know, in Genesis 1, it tells us that God made us in his image. And the, a lot of people have argued about what image means, uh, but I take it there are three things there. He made our in, our in his likeness, 
and the idea there is we are his little statues. We're his icons. Mm-hmm. So we reflect him. That, that may include rationality and creativity and a bunch of things, but we reflect him. And that may be one reason why he doesn't want any idols or statues of him ever made because uh, he already has them. They're us. And of course, Jesus is the supreme one uh, that comes later on in history. But that's an interesting way to look at that. I've, I've never thought of it like that before. Now, the second thing is, the, you see the personality come out. He made us male and female. He made us, you know, both men and women are in the image of God. And he made, a, made us relational. Mm-hmm. And that reflects the Trinitarian relationship. Not that they're three in male and female, but he made us uh, personal, like he is personal. And then the third thing you see in the passage is functional. He, he made us to rule. Right. And so we reflect him. Even in the coming kingdom, we're going to rule and reign with him. He has always made us to rule. And so there's a function. We represent his sovereignty. So he has caused his creation to reflect who he is in the creativity and rationality and personality and in his function of being sovereign ruler over all the universe. All right. Now, we only have a few seconds left. But, you know, when I see that after God created everything on the seventh day, he rested. Now, when I work hard, I love I love resting. I like taking a nap. I like getting some good sleep. Was God getting a nap on the seventh day? How did it get worked out in the creation account? You see it appear in Sabbath talk as well that comes from the law. I don't like the word rest. I mean, it's, it's a good word, I guess, to translate it. But the idea is that God ceased his creation work. He created in six days and he ceased it on the seventh day. So he's not tired. Yeah. God never gets tired. We have passages to that effect. He never slumbers nor sleeps. Never, never slumbers or sleeps. Now, in the Ten Commandments, he gave, in chapter 28 to 11, he gave Moses and for all Israel the command not to work on the seventh day, to rest from their labors, but that's just to reflect his creation work of six days and his ceasing on the seventh day. So it's like a gigantic object lesson Mm -hmm. given to the nation of Israel, which is a perpetual sign for them, Exodus 31 tells us. So we we believe that the Sabbath of worship for Israel just reflects the creation order that's given in Genesis 1. I love that. And for our listeners, I really hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. We're going to actually have Dr. Mike Stollard back in the studio next week. Uh, We're going to be looking at some other issues in doctrine as well, like sin, salvation, and good work. So I want to encourage you to return next week as we look at the 19 key Christian principles that we here at the Friends of Israel stand on. And I want to encourage you to get our new booklet that's out, Here We Stand, uh, a great read for you. Um, And so, Mike, thank you so much for being in studio. You're welcome. Israel, on the verge of becoming a state, a teenage Holocaust survivor arrives on her shores alone. His name is Svi Kalisher. Little did he know his search for a new life in the Holy Land would lead him to the Messiah. Svi, enthusiastic to share his faith, engaged others in spiritual conversations, many of which can be found in our magazine, Israel, My Glory. While Sfi is now in the presence of his Savior, his collected writings from well over 50 years of ministry continue to encourage believers worldwide. Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life of Sfi. Not long ago, I was out walking, and four ultra-Orthodox men stopped me on the street. Do you recognize us? We had a long conversation with you more than a year ago, and you promised to continue our conversation. So are you ready? I am always ready. 
We spoke about this man, one said. By this man, they meant Jesus. The Orthodox will not say his name. My job is not to speak to you about a mere man, but I will be happy to continue our conversation about the need to have faith in the Lord, according to the Bible. You put your faith in fictional stories and in your rabbis. Then one asked me which God I believe in. They do not understand we believe in a single God composed of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I showed them Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, which they chant three times daily in their synagogues, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One man angrily asked me, In how many gods have you believed? We know whom you worship. How did you find him? This is a good question, I replied. If you read from God's word alone, you will learn how to know the Lord personally. Show us where this is written, one said. I opened my Bible to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, where it is written, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I told them, You are in darkness. If you will worship God alone, then you will see the great light. What great light? one asked. So I showed them Isaiah 9, where it is written, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. They examined it closely to make sure it was the Bible. Then they wanted to know which rabbi taught me this. I told them, I do not learn from rabbis. I learn from the Bible. One replied, Most Christians speak about this Holy Spirit. But faith in such a one is against our religion. So I asked them if they considered King David a Christian. No, they all declared. He was a good Jew. So I asked if they believe what is written in the Psalms. Of course, they all replied. Please read Psalm 51. Pay attention to verse 11. Since you say only Christians believe in the Holy Spirit, they read, Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. They were shocked. I cannot believe what I have just read. I said, There is a big difference between those who trust in the Lord and His Word and those of you who trust in stories and the words of men. Please pray that these men will study the Bible on their own and let the Holy Spirit speak to them through it.
Thank you for being with us today. Chris, we have Dr. Mike Steller back next week. Remind our listeners where we're headed. That's right. We're continuing our conversation on doctrine. And uh, next week, we're going to look at the doctrines of sin, salvation, good works, and even eternal security. I think things that matter a lot to how a Christian stands on the truth of God's word. But also just a reminder for our listeners, if you've not yet subscribed to Israel My Glory, that you can get a full one-year free subscription at no cost by simply visiting foiradio.org. And there you can also find the booklet that we've been talking about. Here we stand, 19 key Christian beliefs that we've been talking about through the, uh, throughout the program. Again, that's foiradio.org, foiradio.org. Our host and teacher is Chris Gatolka. Today's program was produced by Tom Gallion, co-written by Sarah Fern, Mike Kellogg, Red Apples of Gold. Our theme music was composed and performed by Jeremy Strong. I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people.